Hello, and welcome to Why Sports, a podcast designed to highlight the value of athletics as a foundation for any career path. Through interviews with professionals across industries, we discuss the impact of being part of a team, competition, learning to fail, and how those lessons transcend athletics into the workplace. Join us as we explore the importance of sports as professional development while our guests share what they have learned throughout their career. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to Why Sports. We are joined today by Dewey Mosley, Stevenson alum and retired colonel in the U.S. Army. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Thanks for having me, Justin. Great to be here. Yes, sir. And I am very curious how your background in athletics, both as a youth and throughout high school and potentially at West Point, how did it lay a foundation that allowed you to progress through your career and provide some guidance and some foundation for what you have accomplished in your life and the challenges that you have faced? Okay, thanks. Thanks very much for uh, having me, Justin. Thanks for the question. And I'm just excited to be here and just to share at least my experience. And I pray that it's a, a blessing to the listeners and they find some nuggets of, of wisdom or, or at least they learn some lessons that they can learn the easy way rather than the hard way. So thanks for having me. So as you know, came there to RLS, graduated in 88, and it was just an incredible experience. My memory of Robert Louis Stevenson and the development and the friendships and the mentors that I had there stayed with me literally to this day. And I expect that will be the same really for a lifetime. So that was great. When I was there from a sports perspective, it's interesting because I started playing sports as long as I can remember. I think I had a football uniform on at seven, whatever the case may be. But when got got to RLS, it's interesting. Probably I'd say my best sport was baseball, but I just had a love for football. And so sometimes with the seasons, you got to make choices. So at RLS, the two sports that I opted for were football and track. I just had a great time doing that with some great teammates. And just to give you an idea of what my path was, I left Robert Louis Stevenson, applied to a whole bunch of schools, ended up going to the United States Military Academy at West Point. When I got there, the love for sports didn't end. It would take an entire other radio show to talk about how I ended up there, how I ended up playing sports. It was literally on the order of a miracle, but let's just put it this way, on very short notice, I found out literally less than 24 hours. I found out that I was no longer going to be a civilian anymore. And I showed up in the gray area there of West Point and started on a journey that I didn't expect, but I certainly did appreciate. And when I was there, I did have an opportunity for a period of time to play football for the Army Black Knights, which was awesome. And then as a couple of things happened there, ended up going into powerlifting where I, I was able to achieve third-team All-American and uh, also did a little bit of rugby on the sides. So never lost my love of sports. And I even tried after leaving the academy to continue to play with our unit teams. So left West Point, commissioned as a second lieutenant in the field artillery. And that path, that choice has taken me all over the world. It's taken me from the smallest unit of a platoon where it was just me and my guys and the howitzers having a great time all the way up to working for the chief of staff of the army. General Mark Milley, who's now the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, had a chance to work for him and then also had a chance to do a lot of interagency and international work. When it comes to sports, it's such an interesting question and you realize how essential that experience of playing sports is and how applicable it is to every aspect of life to include your career and the like. And I think after I lay this out, I think we can take it really anywhere you want to go. I can delve into any one of these areas, but I really focused it down to five areas that I believe sports and the experience of it apply and really assist you in many areas of your life to include your career. And so the first one really is this idea of learning preparation. 
It is such an essential element of everything you do. And within that preparation, you have two important aspects, which are strategy, that's important, and discipline. Mm -hmm. And all of those things come together and you realize how important it is. And when you look at those three things together, one of the things that I realized, and in fact, I am, you know, a, a trained strategist. I started as a second lieutenant. You don't get to just go blow stuff up the whole time. You start out at the tactical level, then you get to the operational level, probably at battalion command. And then by the time you get up to the colonel ranks, you're really at the strategic level. And that's where I ended up. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I realized was strategy, and that again is a whole other radio show, is most contests are decided before they begin. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it is your level of preparation, your level of discipline, Mm -hmm. and your strategy that plays a large role in setting the conditions for Mm -hmm. what it is you're about to do. Mm -hmm. And strategic thinkers are always thinking about setting conditions, not just what are you doing in the moment? That's tactical thinking. So that's a big part of it. Another thing, and Germano was just in there, and I can name a whole lot of other people that were on the football team there at RLS. But I can say without a doubt, the reason we were successful Mm -hmm. is because I never got hit harder in a game than I did in practice. I'll tell you what, by the time we got to a game, the opponents on the other side of the field, in my mind, were child's play. Because (laughs) there's a scripture that says, iron sharpens iron. Look, we were friends, but when we got on that practice field, Mm -hmm. it was my opinion that my good friends were trying to kill me. But that is what made us better. And so when you translate that into the military, one of our sayings is this, we train all the time. It's what we do. It's our life's blood. But one of the sayings about our training is you train as you fight, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you don't put easier conditions on yourself in training than you do when things really hit the fan because you'll find yourself wanting. You won't Mm -hmm. know what is necessary. You won't know what you're made of. So that's one. You mentioned that preparation and setting yourself up and training at the level of the competition, training so that the game, the event, the circumstances that you're preparing for is less stressful than it would have been. Mm -hmm. How have you specifically seen that carried out in a few places that you can talk about? We were here and this is the result because these seeds were planted so long ago. I think from a larger perspective, I'll go from just overall experience to personal experiences. I try to think of one here, but most of your listeners probably are familiar with Desert Storm. Yes. And you watch the U.S. military in literally a hundred hours take down an entire enemy force, which is almost unheard of given the scale of that operation. The reason that happened is that If you rewind the clock back to the Cold War, Mm -hmm. the entire U.S. military with the airland battle doctrine had been training for a high intensity conflict against, at that time, Soviet Union opponent, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't know where those skills were going to get used, but we have a place right there in California called the National Training Center where I was a observer controller. I was one of the trainers at the National Training Center. And there is this huge area where you literally bring entire brigades out there and we immerse them in 100% combat conditions. And we also have a cadre, a well-trained enemy force that we put our, those brigades up against them in as close to live conditions as we can with all of the simulation and everything that happens. And our job as observer controllers is to make sure that those units are trained to the pinnacle of their capability. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing at the National Training Center, and I watch rotation after rotation, unit after unit, this is going to be an interesting thing, but I can almost never remember, maybe a couple of times, but in all of those exercises, I never remember a time where the friendly force, the unit we were training actually won. That's how tough we were on them. And you bring them back for an AAR and all the after action report. I know what that is. That's right. You got it. And so we have a lot of acronyms, but what would happen is we bring them back and the entire rotation is them looking at 
areas where they could improve, areas where they didn't do it. So they were honed, they were improved, not through success, but through failure. Yep. And that was one area in particular. That's perfect. That's a great example. And yeah. you said you had five different things that sports has prepared you for with preparation being one, yeah. right? strategy, discipline, tactical, or under that, what would be number two? Okay, number two. And the last one under that one, I would just say under that preparation is being coachable. I remember every coach I've ever had and being coachable is also part of that preparation process. Okay, so number two, all of these are really important, but this one is huge. The idea of integrity. And what I found with sports now, if you just indulge me. Oh, no, um, let's, let's hear this. Great. With all that happens in the world, with all that happens in life, with all the crazy stuff, one of the things that I loved so much about sports and that I remember and carried forward was there was a purity to sports that you find in very few places. Yeah. And that purity that I'm talking about, if you just remember whatever sports you played, that brief moment, it could be 30 seconds to three minutes, whatever it is, when you set up your formation and the ball is hiked. Mm -hmm. And for the next 30 seconds, everything disappears. Everything outside of that moment disappears. Mm -hmm. And you just have this moment of purity. For the boxer, it could be when the bell rings mm -hmm. and they look in the eyes of the opponent. For the golfer, it could be when you get in that backswing. I don't know, when the gun shoots right before race. Mm -hmm. But those moments, that experience, just that purity without any outside distraction is something that I think gets in the heart mm -hmm. and allows you to bring that purity to other things. And that's part of the integrity. The other part of it is the environment that is set up in any sports competition is one where there are rules that you can't break, right? Or there's a consequence. You can't hide it. So learning to compete honestly and fairly is a very important lesson that you take into your career. At West Point, you might've even heard the story. They're actually going through an issue right now. But look, you could do almost anything at West Point but if you want to go home, the one thing you could not do is violate the honor code, Yeah. right? The honor code at West Point is a cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do. And I watched a lot of really promising people go home mm -hmm. because they couldn't live up to that standard. And your integrity mm -hmm. is everything. Your reputation is everything. It is much easier kept than it is recovered. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And the last part of integrity in sports, I think, and how it helps you is this. You learn that actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. You know that we sit out there and people that play sports, you can talk all you want, but at some point your video needs to match your audio. Yep. And it is about what you do, not about what you say. And all of those things are just as important in life. You need to be a whole person, a person that's aligned. And that is point number two, if you have any questions on that. I think you just highlighted the the mantra of don't talk about it, be about it, right? You got to walk your walk. You have to be a leader in all of those things. And when you referenced the integrity portion that sports had taught you, there's that component of your character is what you're doing when nobody's looking, right? And the coach can't see everybody. I just talked about it this morning at our conditioning workouts where Hey, you're only cheating yourself if you don't get your knee to the ground. If you right. stop short of the line, all of those things are lessons that sports teach you that carry over that are more like a faucet drip than a yeah. fire hose over the course of your career that yeah. then get instilled. So yeah. I love that story. What would you say is the number three thing that you took with you? And since you said that, I'm going to expound on that just a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. This comes more from my experience because, and this is, probably a thread that weaves through everything I say. Mm -hmm. What happens on the sports field has a certain level of stakes, but what I've done for the last 28 years, the stakes are much higher. And I think getting a taste of that in sports prepares you for those times when maintaining your integrity is hard, mm -hmm. right? Because there's consequence there. I think a lot of folks that maybe didn't play sports or don't have really trying experiences, 
they really have never faced an ethical or moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing when there's a right and a wrong choice, mm -hmm. but it is another thing when there are two right choices, mm -hmm. both that have real consequences to them. And you are the one that's put in the place of having to do that. And you're right, when no one's looking, this whole idea of being able to make hard choices in accordance with integrity, being able to work your way through those ethical and moral dilemmas when it's not clear what the right thing is to do. Mm -hmm. It forces you, and this is a very important thing, it forces you to fall back on your principles, yeah. right? And that's a part of integrity. Yep. And so at the end of the day, who are you? And are you strong enough to abide by who you are, who you say you are? Mm -hmm. But that's integrity. Now, of course, you can't talk about sports or going forward in life without the third one, which is teamwork. Now, teamwork, I'm just going to say five words that all of us would do well to internalize. It is not about you. <laughs> Absolutely. Period. Yep. It is not about you. And there's not an aspect of your life where that is not the higher road and the road to aspire to. Mm -hmm. I have chosen and probably always will for my life to have meaning. I have to be living a life of service in some way, shape or form. Of course, the military is not the only way. There's many ways to do that. Mm -hmm. But just having that on your heart whenever you take an action, I think just makes for a more quality person. And you've seen on the sports field, those people that think it is about them, as opposed to those that understand it's a team. And if there's one thing that I've learned, it is that brotherhoods mm -hmm. are born mm -hmm. of common cause mm -hmm. and adversity. Mm -hmm. When you put those two things together, you can create something that formally did not exist. Mm -hmm. Just think about it for a second. Before any two people come together or before a team comes together, there's nothing there. But when you bring that together in common cause, mm -hmm. and then you place it in an atmosphere of adversity, mm -hmm. you create something I believe called a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a group, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, that didn't exist before. And it's one of the most beautiful things you can ever observe. Yeah. And a, a very important aspect of this teamwork is this idea of accountability, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What are you responsible for mm -hmm. and making sure that for the good of that team, you are accountable mm -hmm. to handle your responsibility. And in the sports field, it's getting a block. Yeah. On the battlefield, it could be if you're the reserve force and that team that is forward gets in trouble mm -hmm. and that call comes forward, the entire outcome of that conflict, of that battle, depends upon you doing your job. As an artilleryman, as a fire supporter, mm -hmm. it was our job to set conditions for the success of forces forward, whether that was air support. And you have to be accountable. People have to know on your team that, hey, if Dewey Mosley or Justin Climo, if it's his assignment to do it, mm -hmm. I have no doubt mm -hmm. that they will do everything in their power. In some cases, even at the cost of your life right. to get it done. And then another really important aspect, and I think this ties the whole teamwork thing together and is relevant now, is this idea of diversity. Mm -hmm. When you get on a team and you have that common cause, I could not think of a place like RLS, like West Point, like the Army, where people couldn't be from more different walks of life. You're talking race, you're talking gender, you're talking location, you're talking country, you're talking experience. Mm -hmm. But look, in the context of RLS, hey, when we step on that field, all I can see is green and white. Yep. That's it. We're one team. And it is not ignoring the diversity. That's not the goal. It is appreciating the diversity mm -hmm. that people bring to that team to collectively make us better. And it's one thing on a sports field, right? Mm -hmm. Having people see things different ways. But in my experience, especially on deployments, I cannot overemphasize this. Mm -hmm. When you are sitting 
in a meeting with an ambassador talking to a foreign country leader at all levels, right? If you do not have a intimate understanding, not just of who you are, but of who the person on the other side is, if you don't have that intimacy, you cannot bridge that gap. You can't be effective. And having members of your team that can contribute to that knowledge is very important. So that would be the third one if you have any follow-ups. What I'd like to highlight is what you shared aligns very clearly with, I would say, our athletic mission, which is you participate in athletics to learn to be part of something bigger than yourself. So you starting with, it is not about you. That is the whole goal of why it is obligatory here to participate in co-curricular team-based activities, be it the football team, be it theater, be it baseball, someplace where you are in a position where other people rely on you and you are accountable to them. The other thing is sports allow us to help cultivate and teach leadership because leadership is about followership as much as it is being out in front. And if you're playing multiple sports or you're involved in multiple team-based activities, you have to learn to wear different hats. You have to learn to execute different roles, deal with different leaders, deal with the different teammates that you may have and find your niche on any one given team that's going to uplift the greater good. And so I really like how you laid that out. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as a leader in your space. Mm-hmm. Did you find it easy in hindsight mm-hmm. to identify or at least notice the difference between your soldiers that had a sports background and those that maybe didn't? That's interesting. Yes. On a couple of levels. On the one hand, right, at the most practical level, being in the military is a combat sport. Mm-hmm. And from a pure physical standpoint, it is our bread and butter, right? Just having the discipline and the desire and having practiced being a lifelong athlete and of the aspects of the human being, making sure that of course your mind, your spirit, but also your body Mm -hmm. is prepared all the time. So those soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that had a sports background that know what it's like to keep themselves in shape, just by what we do Mm -hmm. had an easier time (laughs) right there. The second piece of that, that that I'll address at the end too is Playing sports, I think, is just such a natural fit for any team-oriented career because you just innately understand the idea of being a teammate and everything we've talked about so far. So you just step into it. I went to West Point and West Point was pretty tough on you. It is a leadership crucible and it is the whole idea. And the interesting thing is by the time you left West Point, they were so tough on you that you started to wonder Am I any good at this leadership thing? You just don't know because it's not the actual army. And so you walk out of there going, okay, the first time I stand in front of my platoon, Mm -hmm. the first time that I have to give an order, whether a mundane one or a very consequential one, how am I going to be received? How am I going to be? How am I going to do? And what I found was when I got to my first unit, again, the preparation was so good that by the time I got there, you were more than prepared. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about leadership, this very important aspect of being able to set an example in all aspects of life, physical, mental, Mm -hmm. preparedness, competence, all of those things. When you stood before that unit, you had an integrity about you. You had Uh, a genuineness, a a believability, all all of those things. And you were an example that people willing to follow because, and this is a very important aspect for those that haven't been in the military. As an officer, you are given authority by the United States government, right? You are given authority. When I put on, whether it's a second lieutenant bar or a colonel's eagle's wings, just simply by that rank, I am given an authority that others have to respect. 
-hmm. But my standard has always been this. If I took off that rank, would they still follow you? Yeah. That's the standard. Yeah. And when you live and lead like that, you're getting it right. Yeah. I love that. That's a great way to look at things. And it aligns with things that I've shared with students over the years when they may or may not be selected to a leadership position, which is title doesn't dictate leadership, behavior does. And that's a great way of putting that. If you take off your bars or your wings, are they still going to follow your orders? What would you say is the fourth piece that you were laying out in regards to how athletics has shaped your career? I think the fourth one is this idea of equality and fairness. And what I love about sports, I love it, Mm -hmm. is that the playing field, unless you have the occasional ref or umpire that you have to keep your left eye on, Mm -hmm. but the playing field is completely level. Mm -hmm. And it takes away every advantage and disadvantage. And it's just you, that field, and if there is one, the opponent on the other side. Mm -hmm. And your success or failure is 100% based on your merits and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, it does something for the individual, right? Because there's nothing to lean on. Whatever happens out there, I think the term they use is it's in a vacuum in that regard. So you learn in that environment. The other thing it does is you see the incredible potential of anybody that is willing to put themselves out there, put the work in, Mm -hmm. improve. The people that you see that maybe you would say they don't stand a chance. What are they even doing out here? Or maybe because of who they are or how they act or the way they look, you might doubt Mm. them. But look, hey, all that goes away (laughs) when that ball snapped. And uh, even my experience there at at RLS, heck, when I was a freshman, I was five foot four, 110 pounds. The only thing uh, Coach Young was willing to do in in the late Jason Harbor, the only thing he would do is give me the ball as a kick returner. And I wasn't big, but I was fast. (laughs) Thankfully, by sophomore year, I got a a lot taller and a lot bigger and I could play a different role, but it was about potential. And if you put the work in, you never know how far a person to go. So a level playing field mm-hmm. is something that I think is a life lesson that yeah. as you go forward, especially as a leader, to be very careful about judging others. Even the Bible says God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. I think that's a great habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look on the heart of people and listen. And this is important. I think when we communicate with people, when we talk to them and interact with them, talk to them in ways that make them want to prove you right rather than prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. Don't speak to them necessarily about what their shortcomings are. It's not that you don't critique, but talk to them about who they can be. Real leaders help others realize their full potential. That is a a very important aspect of leadership. And I just think that the environment of sports just lets you see what's possible in others. So much wisdom there. And I think the idea of meritocracy in athletics and that your preparation is going to allow you to perform and find success or failure. And while some people may be genetically blessed and gifted it doesn't mean that other people are out of the running as long as they're going to work hard and it might take a lot longer for one person they might blossom later but the idea that you can outwork somebody in athletics definitely translates to what you can do as a career and figuring out if your wiring is such that hey i'm first in last out and that's just how we do things that's going to have a lot of benefits down the road as well Yeah. And I'll tell you, I spent an entire career as an African-American army officer. Most of the time, the large majority of the time, I was the only African-American in the room. Most of the time. And 
I, I would say that by and large, I was blessed in regard to this idea of equality and fairness. Mm-hmm. And people have had different experiences. But one area that I would notice most over this time was whereas I felt like many of my colleagues were given the benefit of the doubt that because they went to school, they've been a leader, they have a certain rank. What I found over my time, when there were certainly more intense experiences in this regard than others, but the one that I most often ran into was not getting that benefit of the doubt and often being put in a position to prove myself rather than being given the assumption and the respect that I'm here for a reason. And that's been a a very interesting experience, right? Now, on the one hand, as I sit here and I think about it, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure whether it's good or bad, but it certainly has been something that has caused me to be driven. And one thing that you will hear just growing up as an African-American, especially my dad, between myself and my dad, we have nearly 50 years of service to the nation. My dad came in the military when it was still segregated. And one of the lessons he taught me long before I got in the military, before I walked out the door is he'd say, Hey son, you have to be two or three times as good. Can't be good enough. That's just how it is. And again, not sure whether that's good or bad, but it's just something that has been my experience my whole life. And it has been a driving factor. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably some good and some bad. While it should not be necessary, mm-hmm. at the same time, it does make you better. Thanks for sharing that. And how would you say that sets the table or translates into point five that you teed up? So the last one, I think, is just the incredible benefit of exposing yourself to this idea of competition. In fact, It's something that I think people that don't play sports probably shy away from, whereas you have others that embrace it. And as with anything, there's a pendulum there. You can be on extremes (laughs) in either one, but competition has, I think, a very critical place. Most of all, it just tends to make us better. Mm -hmm. First is this idea of being able to negotiate, handle, and grow from the winning and losing, the success and the failure. If you don't play sports, from very early on, where do you learn what it feels like to win? Mm -hmm. Where do you learn what it feels like to lose or to succeed or to fail? I'm sure there's ways, but boy, that's a really good way to do it. And I can't quote who said it. There's a gentleman that I believe said something to the effect of success is a much harder test than failure. Mm -hmm. And that is because complacency can seep in when you win all the time. And as you go forward in your life, and especially in the military, Mm -hmm. you can never get comfortable with where you are in terms of your preparation. Because in our case, our adversaries aren't just trying to win a game. Our adversaries are trying to harm, kill, not just the person in front of them, but literally our national objectives Mm-hmm. Our way of life is at stake. And so understanding that we're in competition, and I know as we look at international relations a lot of the times, which is what we spend a lot of our time on in our strategies, while cooperation is the much desired outcome, we do have to understand that there are other ideas and other nations out there that clearly see themselves as at a minimum level competitors. And bringing that competitive spirit to everything you do is good. And I think another thing that you learn from competition is what is your attitude as you go through those experiences? Yeah. How gracefully do you win and how gracefully do you lose? And you've seen it, right? Everybody that has kids Mm -hmm. has had to have that conversation. The first time they win a game and they start over celebrating, you got to correct them and go, that's not the way you do it. The first time they lose a game, if they're crying and pouting and blaming their teammates, 
And boy, did I, oh man, I learned a good, even with all my experience, I still remember as a second lieutenant, Sergeant First Class Lamar, um, I was in a fire direction center and we were supposed to be laying the charts for a fire mission. And of course, when you're shooting around that is about three or four feet tall and can has a 50 meter blast radius, you want to put those in the right spot. <laughs> okay. And everyone had responsibilities in our fire direction center. And of course I was the leader though. And one of my soldiers did the chart for whatever reason, I didn't end up checking it. And then when my commander came, I was at the beginning stages of it. And he came and checked everything out and he went to the chart, took the protractor, turned it to the right. And lo and behold, it was incorrect. And he just gave me this look. He didn't even have to say anything. Mm -hmm. And one of my early mistakes, when he asked me what happened, I made the horrific mistake. And I learned this as a second Lieutenant of blaming the person that did it. Mm -hmm. And I watched, and this is where you learn, see all leadership, isn't just the person above you. You can learn from the folks that work with you and for you. Yep. And because my commander had a lot more experience, he didn't say a word to me. He just looked at my non-commissioned officer and he walked out. Mm -hmm. And that's when in the military, you get this proverbial walk in the desert. And mm -hmm. as soon as he left, my staff sergeant, he's sir outside now, right? Now I'm his superior, mm -hmm. but he's about to tell me how it works. And he took me to the front of that 577. It's an old carrier they don't even have anymore. Yeah. Out of earshot of everybody. And he put his finger in my chest and he said, sir, don't you ever for the rest of your time that you're in this military, ever blame a member of your team for something that went wrong. As the leader, it is always yep. we, and it is never they or you. It yep. is always we. Do you understand me? And I think that moment mm -hmm. is probably like one of the greatest lessons that I learned about leadership. And he was right. I don't even know why that came out of my mouth, but he was absolutely right. And so your attitude is important. And then, and then finally on competition, the last one is just this idea of improving. You go out there, you compete, you see what it is. And just this life lesson of the largest room in the world is room for improvement, right? It's, it is actually your failures that get you to success. It is your losses that get you to winning. And if you're trying to live a life without risk, without failure, without losing, you are not going to live a fulfilled life. You're not going to achieve very much. And you got to put yourself into that competition. You got to be able to get out there and take that risk mm -hmm. and then course correct as you learn lessons. So that would be like the big five. Yeah. I want to go back to the lesson you learned in accountability there, which yeah. I think comes very much from sports. Yeah. If things are managed well, and even more so if they're not managed well, because as a coach, when you have success, whose responsibility is that? It's the players. It's the athletes, right? You deflect. And when you have failure, no, it's on us. It's on me as the leader. I didn't prepare them. I got to do a better job. And I think the fact that a direct report challenges you oh, yeah. and identifies, hey, you're not measuring up as a leader and here's what you need to do mm -hmm. is such an important feedback loop to have in any industry Right. The fact that trust exists and the space for having that conversation exists is really important. And it's a great thing to hear about. Yeah. And you have to be open to that as a leader. One of the biggest mistakes that I've watched leaders make over time when it is a team, even when you're in leadership, is that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, I want to be surrounded by people that are better than me at what they do. It doesn't mean that you can't lead. It just means you need to be open to good news and bad news. Yeah. And there has to be a level of trust between the leadership and the team and between each other. Stephen Covey wrote a great book called the, the Speed of Trust, but there has to be a level of trust to where you can give honest feedback without fear of retribution or worse, just not listening because you can destroy a team without that. I think in how you framed competition, it's important to know because everybody's not wired the same way, but you can still use competition to drive success in the thought being you're competing against your best self yesterday, not necessarily the people that are across the line from you, but mm -hmm. 
what's my best? Is this what I have to give? And how do you use that as a motivation tool rather than one that is more harmful? And I think that's the, the tricky balance, right? And, and some of yeah. us need competition to drive us. And some of us, we don't necessarily want to look at it, but we're figuring out our own way to, to process that. What would you say if you could identify uh, a time when, other than that you just shared, that you failed, but were able to bounce back because of the failure you'd experienced during sports and you knew how to respond appropriately? That's a good question. I'm sure there's a hundred of them, but uh, one that comes to mind now is we were actually at the National Training Center in this particular case, I was not an observer control. I was actually at one of the units going through. And uh, it goes back to the story. I said, Hey, if you're that force that's supposed to get there, it, it could mean mm. success or failure. And uh, my battalion commander at the time chose our unit to do, I guess, something that was out of the box. He was actually going to have my unit attached to one of the infantry units, try to get in behind the enemy force at a very high rate of speed such that when the force that was in their face kicked off, they would have no idea we were behind them. And what that took was a great deal of coordination with some of the other maneuver forces. And it took a great deal of autonomy and trust on the part of our team. And we had just been through this so many times. I, I knew our folks and uh, one of the things, to the extent I can explain mm -hmm. it, but one of the things is everyone has a role. And over time, you get to learn people's strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. on your team. And you have to rely on that. And there's just some lessons like, hey, if you're in doubt, and this is one of the lessons that came out of it, nine times out of 10, believe the guy that's on the ground rather than the reports you're getting from other places. Mm. Nine times out of 10, right? Because you're going to be getting all these people's opinions and feeds and everything. But if somebody's there and they're telling you what's going on, you do it. So the bottom line is there was two ways to get where we were supposed to go. One way was the way I was instructed to go by the maneuver force. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I would do is I had a gunnery sergeant that I would always tuck in with the maneuver force and I could see on my computer feed where he was. So I always knew how to follow them. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, this commander told me to go another way. And the lesson really is about instinct and how the trust in your team can build into that. And what I did was in the moment, in the actual kickoff, I did what I was instructed to do. And then as we started to go the way we were told to go, we ran into some absolutely impassable terrain with the things that we had. And the issue was that the maneuver force we were supposed to follow could not afford to wait for us. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to get gummed up. And my gunnery sergeant, again, a guy that's in my unit, he calls and he said, he uses call signs, but basically it was like, uh, hey, sir, I'm behind this maneuver unit. It is smooth sailing over here. You might want to think about redirecting and coming our way. And so in that moment, I'm a young captain at the time, and I'm trying to make the decision between, do I do what I was told to do? Mm -hmm. Or do I look at the current circumstances, mm -hmm. exercise leadership and initiative and have trust in a person that's been doing this for me for a long time? Yep. What do you do? For a moment in time, I allowed the unit to just try to fight through it. Mm -hmm. And then things just got worse and worse. To the point where it was like, okay, I got to cut sling load on this. Mm -hmm. And I just got to go with what the guy's telling me. We got ourselves out of it. We got down to where we we're supposed to be, but we were late is the bottom line. Right. And it just didn't work out as intended. And we didn't have the effect that we were supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And we got into the AAR and like the maneuver leader that told me to go that way, but the AAR, he took a hundred percent of the blame for it. He said, look, I didn't recon with you the way I should have. I didn't communicate the way I should have. And it should have been closer communication. Mm -hmm. But I said, but for my part, I said to myself in that competitive environment, I learned that, hey, as a leader, sometimes you have to learn to exercise that initiative that you've prepared your whole life for. Mm 
And it's not always about just going lockstep with what's laid out before you. You got to have more flexibility. And, that, and an essential part of that was, hey, when this gunnery sergeant told me something, he never, ever let me down. Yeah. And I could have put all my chips in that bag if I needed to. And it was just something that really stuck with me as an example. And there's others that I could probably point to, but that's just a microcosm, I think. Of yeah, life. no, that works great. And as we wrap up here, I'm curious what you would offer as a sales pitch to others that may or may not be considering getting their kids involved with sports or themselves. What would you sell as the reason why as we close this out? Okay. So in the end, I, I think there's probably three things that I'd leave a person with for their consideration. And I think they're good in their benefit. And much of your life, much of the course of your life, much of your experience is predicated on having a very clear understanding of who you are. And I have found that sports, as well as other things, is a crucible that helps an individual discover not just who they are, but more importantly, who they can be. Yep. And you want to expose yourself to that, right? Because short of experiences like that in all areas, individual, team, and everything, you really don't know what you're made of, what your strengths and weaknesses are what it's like to get back up after you get knocked down, what you're great at, what you're not so great at. So that is one. The second one I would say is this. I could argue that the U.S. Armed Forces have been one of the greatest teams mm -hmm. assembled in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. And having played sports, it was the most natural fit that I can imagine. But as I looked back on my career after 28 years of doing it at the end of the day this thing called leadership this thing called being on a team mm -hmm. all these things at the end of the day it boils down to something that Jesus once talked about he talked about this idea of love mm -hmm. and he said greater love has no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends Hmm. And I had this extraordinary experience first in sports mm -hmm. at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And then in the military, I've been surrounded by people for the last 28 years. And every time I looked in their eyes, I knew without any doubt that every single one of them would lay down their life for me. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what's happening in the day-to-day -day stuff, if it came down to it, every single one of them. And that mm -hmm. is an extraordinary thing to be a part of. And literally, the only thing that gets you to do that is love for each other and love for that cause, as you said, that is bigger than yourself. Yeah. And that's what can drive an extraordinary experience. And I think the most appropriate way to end this, when I went to West Point, I stayed in the barracks called MacArthur Barracks. And right outside my room, you can look down. I actually have some pictures with it, but there was a statue of General Douglas MacArthur. Yeah. And on the stones around it, it has some of his more famous sayings about duty on our country. Mm -hmm. But he once said something that I think is the most distilled and the most effective mm. statement that captures what sports mean to life. Mm -hmm. And he simply said this, he said, upon the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds that upon other fields on other days will bear the fruits of victory. And I just don't believe you can say it better than that. Everything I've talked about for the last hour or so is encompassed in that statement. And that is something that has always beat in my heart. I've always realized it. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that come to pass. And I think that anyone that endeavors to do this thing called life, you do want to plant those seeds on the field of sports that can bear something for you going forward. So that's what I'd leave. 
That is a great way to end this. And thank you for spending time with us. Very knowledgeable, great wisdom to share and really looking forward to seeing this play out so people can benefit from what you have to offer. All right. Thanks again, Justin. It's a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, just always, just always have a special place in my heart for the RLS family there. And anything I can do to be a blessing, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do it. So thank you for this time and, and really thank you for what you're doing, right? Because you are really reaching people and youngsters and causing them to consider something that can literally change their life. And you're doing it in ways with people that have been there, done that, and had some experiences and allowing us to give back. So thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Looking forward to talking soon. This Cypress Grove podcast is proud to be sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on a special occasion. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard, sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and the Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations from every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. In addition, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful, the wines are great, and you're supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com, discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Now enjoy the podcast. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give Y Sports and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.